Welcome to the first recording of Acing Ace International History. Today we're going to be looking at the scramble for Africa. This is a highly competitive, contentious, kind of inhumane time period from 1870 to 1914. Now, we want to look at the reasons that Europeans are going over to Africa. It's not like this continent was newly discovered and Europeans are like, oh my goodness, there's a whole piece of land south of us. What ended up happening really is the transformation of the Industrial Revolution as well as the finalization of the European map. Let's first start out with the Industrial Revolution. What this did was created a huge necessity for raw materials and with the output of factories back in Paris and London um, these nations really needed a secure supply chain and they thought that Africa would offer that. The other thing that the Industrial Revolution really did was give Europeans the advantage of advanced technology such as weaponry. They now had fast rapid firing rifles they were more accurate, long range. You also have the development of steamships. What this did was allow Europeans to navigate the waters in whatever direction they needed. Technologies that um, would allow better medicine and prevent Europeans from dying of malaria. These all allowed the European continent to really conquer the African continent with I don't want to say ease, but definitely with an advantage. Now, the other thing that happened back in Europe is that you have the Italian state, the German state, all becoming finalized countries, recognizable countries that we could all define on a map. Now, what that meant was if a European nation wanted to expand its borders, they would have had to go to war with one another. And let's face it, no one wants to have a war on their home turf. So Europeans really viewed Africa as a method of being able to almost like a safety valve of competition where they could expand their empire without, in their minds, um, the thought of starting a conflict. Some of the other reasons that Europeans wanted to go and, and imperialize Africa was that they could establish naval bases or protect their trade routes going from the east over back home to Europe. The other thought was also just the social causes or um, the ideology of social Darwinism. A lot of Frenchmen and British folks felt that they were superior to everyone and that they were obligated to go around and civilize the rest of the world. So these are some of the main reasons that Europeans really decided to start imperializing Africa. Now I want to start navigating into some of the geopolitics of uh, the time period between Britain, France, and Germany and how Africa plays into this. Looking at the British first, they really needed to protect their trade routes that they had to the Indian Ocean and being able to bring back all of the raw goods and um, highly desired goods from the East back home. So they really wanted to protect these trade routes. Now by 1882, Egypt had become a protectorate of Egypt. And what this meant was that Britain was going to be able to build the Suez Canal and that would definitely help out their trade routes as well as give them some political power of who could and couldn't use the Suez Canal. 
The other thing that Britain needed to do at the time was really to keep land away from their competitors. France, starting out at the beginning of the scramble for Africa, was a huge competitor. And so the more land that Britain got, the less land that France got. The other part is, is Germany is going to enter into the scramble for Africa around 1885 in 1890s because German businessmen really were feeling the pressure and feeling that they were being left out of this profitable endeavor. So Britain has a huge presence in the northeastern part of Africa all the way down to the southern region of Africa. When Germany starts showing up in Africa, Britain starts taking this a little bit as um, a rivalry. And there are some other issues at play between Britain and Germany that we'll look at further down the road. Now, looking at the just sheer scope of the British presence on the African continent, Britain is going to want to create a confederation of southern British states within Africa. And this is where some contention and rivalry is going to play out. In 1879, the British first have to take care of the Zulu tribe. Now, this is going to be um, kind of an embarrassment because you have the greatest British empire with their modern technology taking on the Zulu tribe of Zululand. Now, it should be an easy victory, but surprising to the British and to the rest of the world, the Zulus are going to be a formidable force for the first few months of this war. Eventually, the British are going to be able to conquer the Zulus, and that's going to set the fate for the Zulu tribe uh, in the preceding years. But now, the second goal that the British have to do is to... Um, get control over the Orange Free State and Transvaal region. And they're going to come into conflict with some Dutch settlers that had been in the southern region of Africa since the 1600s. This group was known as the Boers or the Dutch Afrikaners. And there was somewhat of a coexistence between the Dutch Boers and the British um, until golden diamonds were found and most humans like shiny things and the British wanted these shiny things because that was going to be a lot of profit for them and at this time money equaled power and the British want their power they want their money and they want to complete this southern confederation of British states so that they can have full control and that they can get a railroad system going from the north to the south of Africa so at one point the Dutch Boers demand their independence from Britain. Britain doesn't like that because they need to be able to control this area. And so this is going to lead us to the First Boers War. Now, you have the giant British Empire. They have a global presence. They also have uh, advanced weaponry. So going up against a bunch of Dutch farmers should be a piece of cake. Surprisingly, the British lose the First Boers War. Now, for Britain, this is going to be a bit of an ego bust for them because they had difficulty losing uh, to the Zulus or almost losing to the Zulus. They just lost to a bunch of guerrilla warfare fighting Dutch farmen, and they're going to have to figure out how to coexist with the, the Dutch. Now, by 1895, 
the British are going to try and take over a garrison um, that are that's being occupied and controlled by the Dutch. This is known as the Jameson Raid. And lo and behold, the British lose again. Now, we're going to bring in some European tea that's been steeping. Germany and Britain are really becoming rivals at this time. And the, the German Kaiser, Kaiser Wilhelm II, is going to send a congratulatory letter or telegram to the, the Boers president, Paul Kruger. And he's like, wow, good job for fending off these aggressive British Empire folks coming into your territory. And what message that sends to Britain is that the Germans definitely are not for the British, that they're congratulating their enemies. So it's demonstrating that there is a competition between Germany and Britain. So, you know, the British hang tight for a few years. And then we're going to go into the Second Boers War from 1899 to 1901. Now, the British can absolutely not afford to lose the Second Boers War. So here they're going to come in with full force, 20,000 troops. They're going to go cutthroat on the Dutch Boers. They're going to institute concentration camps, the scorched earth policy, so that they can solidify their presence in the southern region of Africa. Now, what that's going to do to Britain is they're definitely going to look like the aggressors. They're going to be isolated. Now, before this, they claimed splendid isolation. They're so excited that they can defend their empires by themselves. But when Germany becomes Germany in 1871, this really changes things because Germany is going to have the largest land military. Their economy is going to rival that of Britain. And so Britain has to look like they're on top. They cannot afford to lose again to the Boers. So the Second Boers War, they are victorious, but there's a lot of consequences for that. They are isolated, but not in the good way because they feel threatened by Germany. The French aren't willing to work with them because there's still competition going on. So eventually Britain's going to have to make an alliance, but no one in Europe is willing to make an alliance with them. They're going to find their alliance with the Japanese, with the Anglo-Japanese Alliance of 1902. Now, Things are going to just keep escalating for the French, the British, and the Germans. And it's kind of like a little bit of a version of Mean Girls. Who likes who at what point? Because I told you earlier that Britain and France were huge rivals. And we really see that in the Fashoda incident of the later part of the 19th century. Now, France... They had been well established in Africa for hundreds of years. They um, had several ports along the western coast of Africa participating in the slave trade. And they had a goal of having a presence on the African continent from east to west. Now, that's going to go into conflict because the British, they have a goal of having a presence of north to south on the African continent. And so what we see is a butting of heads in modern day Sudan um, around the Egyptian area that the, the French want control of the upper Nile because this is going to be part of their transportation system. 
but Britain had already been there. They had an agreement with the Egyptians. Egypt was a protectorate. And so France starts amping up its presence near the British territory. And this becomes um, butting of heads and it actually almost escalates into conflict. Now, back on the European continent, both Britain and France sincerely think that they are going to war over this territory. Eventually, they were able to diplomatically work it out, but it's worth noting in the Fashoda incident that rivalries on the African continent were beginning to spill over into the political realm back in Europe. And so this is going to be problematic. France also has another issue with another country. Now, this is going to be known as the first and second Moroccan crisis. The first Moroccan crisis is in 1905. What we have here is the Germans are going to challenge the French occupation of Morocco. Now, what claims do the Germans have questioning the French occupation of Morocco? In 1885, there was the Berlin Conference held. Thirteen nations are going to meet in Berlin, and here at this conference, they're going to start talking about some ground rules for European countries to slice the pie, if you will, of Africa. And so it's determined that if a country is going to claim a region of Africa, they need to do a few things. Number one, they have to show that they can effectively occupy it and maintain it and protect it and that they're going to develop it, that you can't just stick your country's flag in the ground and say, ta-da, this region is now mine. The other thing that European nations had to do was inform the other European nations that they were going to take control of this territory. Another major point that comes out of the Berlin Conference is that there's going to be free travel of the Niger and Congo rivers because waterways are going to be an important way for Europeans to make the money and that's what they're all after. They have to get their goods to and from the interior of Africa out to their ports. The last little bit that they needed to adhere to with the Berlin Conference is that slavery should have been abolished. Those are really the four major points that come out of the Berlin Conference, the Treaty of Berlin of 1885. Now for Morocco, this becomes problematic. When France decides to claim Morocco, they actually made a secret alliance with Spain in an agreement that Spain would get a little bit of Morocco and that France would get a little bit of Morocco. Now, this goes against the Berlin Conference because remember, they're supposed to announce to everybody that, hey, France is taking this portion of Morocco. That never played out. And so that's the grounds that Germany uses to try and challenge the French. Now, I told you a little bit earlier that it kind of gets like a little mean girl version because by 1904, the British and the French had entered into this friendly agreement called the Entente Cordiale. What this agreement was is that Britain and France would protect one another from aggressive Germany. At least that's how the British and the French perceived the Germans, that they were being aggressive. And it actually scared both the British and the French that they were willing to set all of their issues aside and now have a working relationship together. Now, 1905, first Moroccan crisis, that's eventually going to be settled through a conference. But again, the Germans aren't really liking this. 
And that's where we're going to come into the Agadir incident or the second Moroccan crisis of 1911. The Germans are going to float some really fancy new naval ships, gunboats, off the coast of Morocco, and they're going to challenge the French occupation of Morocco once again. Now, this starts escalating things on the continent of Europe because they're viewing Germany as just being really, really aggressive. So eventually through another conference, they're going to be able to settle things and the second Moroccan crisis does not escalate into a full conflict. What this is showing though is that the rivalries between Britain and France versus Germany is beginning to escalate. Britain is not trusting the Germans because, you know, when they unified themselves in 1871, when the Germans unified themselves in 1871, um, it rivaled that of the British economy. And there was just some mistrust about uh, Germany's intentions on the continent of Africa. Now, for France and Germany's tea, they go back a long way because France actually lost the Franco-Prussian War of 1868 to 1871. France is going to lose Alsace-Lorraine. They're going to lose some of their national pride. And this is going to be problematic for France. They really never fully trust Germany again. And so for France, they're always wanting to protect themselves from, you know, German aggression. So that's where the rivalry comes up. And it becomes so much that Britain and France are willing to unify um, themselves on the Entente Cordiale. Now, for Germany, you know, when they come to become a, a country in 1871, it, it kind of is out of necessity. Um, Otto von Bismarck had led the Prussian forces in the Franco-Prussian War, and what was discovered is that if all of these German-like states, all these Bavarian-like states, unified into one country, that they could be a formidable, strong force, and he was very accurate in that. And so that's why we get the country of Germany in 1871. Now, when Germany first comes onto the scene, they kind of are like, we don't need to go to Africa. We are self-sufficient. Our economy is doing fantastic. So from 1871 to the latter part of the 19th century, Germany stays out of the scramble for Africa. But by 1885, there is this urge by German businessmen to start getting into the scramble for Africa because those businessmen really feel like they're losing out. So Otto von Bismarck, he's the chancellor of Germany, holds the Berlin Conference. And I already went over, you know, the four major points that came out of this. And really the conference's main goal was to try and keep peace among the Europeans, set down some ground rules that there wouldn't be any major conflicts that, that would play out. But what ends up happening is nationalism between Britain, France, and Germany just become um, a focal point where each country is doing what is best solely for their own country. And you can get away with that and it can be understandable to a point, but not when it is trying to get into each other's territories and where the stakes are so high, at least from the European perspective. The kind of the last thing that Germany does that really throws people 
um, off, particularly the British, is that they want to develop a navy because any country at this time, if you're going to be a global empire, you have to have a capable, well-advanced navy. And so Germany, they actually start building up their navy and they come up with a great concept, the U-boat, a floating device under the water. It's a submarine, you know, like how exciting is that? But what it does is, is it really freaks out the British because they don't understand why this landlocked nation of Germany needs to have a navy. And it turns out really the only waterfront property that Germany has access to is the North Sea. And guess who shares the North Sea? That would be Great Britain. So Britain really sees this as a direct threat to the British Empire. You know, a little side note of European geopolitics that's playing out is the alliance system that's kind of emerging. Otto von Bismarck was a political genius, and he thought that if he could play European countries against one another, that that would give Germany an upper hand in self-defense. So by 1904, 1907, really, we actually have two teams of Europe. You have the Triple Alliance, which is going to consist of Germany, Italy, Austria-Hungary, and then you're going to have the Triple Entente, which is Britain, France, and Russia. All this does is really just create suspicion among all of the European countries. So you have the alliance system at play, you have this huge competition that's playing out on the continent of Africa. You have this insatiable sense of nationalism that is really driving these European behaviors. And with everything playing out in Africa, it's just escalating the political consequences and the political tension among the Europeans. So at the end of the day, we see that the scramble for Africa ends in 1914. That's a very specific time. And the reason why it ends in 1914 is because World War I is going to break out in 1914. World War I breaks out because of a culmination of all the things that were happening. This military development, the naval arms race between Germany and Britain, the fact that the weapons are just in general getting deadlier and each country feels like they have to one-up one another in regards to the technology of their weaponry. The other thing is that alliance system that played out created two teams, them versus us. And so the Triple Entente, the Triple Alliance, they all just didn't trust each other. And some of the things that played out, like the Moroccan crisis or the Fashoda incident, um, the Kaiser telegram to the Dutch Boers, are all contributing to the mistrust of one another. And so um, with nationalism at play and this imperialistic drive, Europeans are going to lend themselves right into a global conflict that is catastrophic for Europeans. And there's going to be large extended consequences that we can still kind of see today in the 21st century.